Hi guys, this is the Hedge Podcast and my name is Jason Mountford and on this show, I aim to bring you UK business and investing news that's not boring as fuck because there is a lot of boring content out there and what I want to try and do, what I always try to do is give you information and give you stuff that is interesting, that is valuable to you, that can help you invest better or help you manage your money better or earn more money. But without putting you to sleep at the same time. I've relaunched the newsletter, which has had some fantastic, fantastic feedback. Uh, and I'm getting the, the brand, I guess, more focused on exactly what I want to talk about uh, and hopefully what you guys want. Now, on today's show, I've got a couple of different topics that I want to talk through. I have had a question from a listener and he has asked about margin calls, leverage investing. Now, I touched on this very, very briefly, I think it was last episode, uh, and I kind of put the call out and said, look, if you want more information on this, I'm happy to talk talk through it, give my thoughts on it. And uh, Finn has done that. He sent me through an email and he's asked for a little bit more information about um, how leverage investing works, what the risks are. And, partic- and specifically, he has uh, asked me to comment on this, where is it? This uh, other mob called Life Cycle Investing, uh, which is an audio book that he's read, um, and they are pretty keen on marginal lending. So I want to go through that. Um, it is raining right now as I'm recording this, uh, and I, I record in a conservatory, which is like one big glass box, uh, very non-soundproof. So apologies if there's a bit of background noise, but you should still hear me coming through loud and clear. So that's the first thing I want to talk about, margin calls. Borrowing to invest, essentially, is what that is. I then also just want to touch on uh, a question that I saw on Reddit today in the UK Personal Finance subreddit, which um, the question the person has asked is, what happens if Vanguard goes bust? So they've invested very heavily into Vanguard. They put all their, basically all their life savings into Vanguard index funds, which is uh, common. Loads of people do that. Uh, And there's nothing wrong with it. Vanguard are a very big company. They've been around a long time. They're very good at what they do. But as I've said on this podcast a lot of times, just because something a company has been around for a really long time is very stable doesn't mean they will always be around. So I thought that was a very good question and it's uh, a, a topic that's definitely worth talking through even if you've not thought of it before. It's just worth understanding how the actual structure of your investment holdings works. The last thing I just want to touch on briefly, we've got a new prime minister, but we will have soon, um, remains to be seen who that is. And it seems like every every conservative MP in the whole fucking country is putting their name in the hat for that. So uh, I don't really care about that. I don't want to talk about the politics side of things. But what is interesting is what the stock market does when we have a new prime minister. Now, I'm going to be covering this in more detail in the newsletter for this week. So I'm going to talk about it very briefly today, kind of overall themes that I'm seeing in the research I've done so far. But on the newsletter, which is Thursday, comes out this Thursday morning, um, if you've not signed up yet, go to the hedge.io, sign up for that, and I'll have all the statistics on um, exactly what kind of the returns look like historically and stuff, which I think that's going to be quite interesting. So without any further ado, let's get into this week's topics. Now, the first one that I want to talk through is that question from Finn. So I'm just going to bring that email up. So I'm just going to read this one out um, because he touches on a couple of interesting points. So uh, blah, 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 where are we? Da, 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 da. Okay. I'm getting in touch because I just listened to your most recent episode in which you invite the audience to contact you about margin calls slash leverage investing. Well, I've just finished the lifestyle investing audiobook and they seem very bullish about using a maximum of two times leverage 
with low interest rates to procure ETFs and those investments remain profitable not only in a bull market but a bear market if you're holding for long enough. I'd be really interested to hear your thoughts on this. The idea of leverage is terrifying but a low ratio. This idea of temporal diversification sounds like it should make sense. Okay, so I'm coming at this from somebody who got into the finance industry in 2007, right? So back then, the use of leverage, definitely in the business that I was working for, was very, very, very widespread. I would say in our business, obviously not with Penn, this was in Australia, so it's quite a little bit different, but broadly the same. Uh, obviously, you can't really leverage in pensions, or you can a little bit, and I'll explain that. Um, I'll explain that as well. But for most people, there was borrowing taking place in order to invest in the stock market. Now, people were borrowing against their properties. I know that sounds kind of crazy now, but back then that was a lot more common. And actually what was what was actually done a lot uh, was, was uh, double leveraging. So they were borrowing money against the property and then taking the... So let's say you borrow 50,000 pounds against your property. You would then take that 50,000 of borrowed money to a different lender, to a margin lender, and then put that up as collateral for an additional 50,000 pounds. So all up, you would have borrowed... Um, all of the money you would have a hundred uh, you would have a hundred thousand pounds to invest, and it would all be borrowed money money across two different lenders. So, borrowing was very very common. Uh, the all the kind of um, you know material that was put out around it was around how safe it was and the back testing of volatility uh, in previous bear markets. How the you know leverage will have, will have been able to carry on that as long as you could make the repayments um, that there wouldn't be a problem. Now, the problem is there was a problem. We, as the global financial crisis took off, uh, the subprime issues in the US kind of spread all, all across the world to Australia, to the UK. Australia actually wasn't hit too badly, broadly speaking, but it was still a massive impact. Now, the business that I was working in, most of the businesses that I uh, knew anything about, had anything to do with, were smashed by this. There was lots of margin calls for their clients. Um, uh, there was huge amounts of portfolios that needed to be sold down and it was carnage. Now, before I kind of carry on, it's probably worth me just explaining a little bit more detail about how a margin call actually works. So, imagine you've borrowed, let's say you've, you've borrowed that money against your property, right? You borrowed 50, let's just keep it simple and say you've borrowed money. Uh, well, you've put up you've put up 20 grand of your own money and you've taken out a margin loan for another 20, 20 grand. So you then invo- invest that 40,000, right? So you've got 40,000 invested, 50% of that is borrowed money. So what that means is that it's, it's called a, a loan to value ratio, so an LTV or an LVR. And that means that of the total portfolio, the, hundred, uh, the sorry, the 40 grand, 50% of it is borrowed. Now, when you're looking at a margin loan, the lender will basically assign a maximum LVR to different investments based on the security of those investments. So if you're going to invest in the FTSE 100, like in a FTSE 100 ETF kind of tracker, that might have an LVR of say 70%. Now, I don't know. I don't do margin lending anymore. So I don't know if these figures are correct. This is kind of roughly what it was around uh, back then. So they would say, as long as your LVR remains below 70%, that's not a problem. Um, We're we're comfortable with that level of risk that we're taking. 
if you want to invest in a direct equity, so like let's say you wanted to put just money into BP shares, by definition, there'll be more risk in that because it's a more concentrated position. So the lender would say, okay, we will lend you money against that, but we're only going to let you have a maximum of like, I don't know, 25% LVR. There's also lots of companies that they wouldn't do that at all. So if you're investing in uh, like small caps, like small little companies, they'd be like, no, fuck that. That's way too much risk for us. We're not prepared to lend you money against something that could go to zero or, you know, drop, drop drastically in value. So they would offer marginal loans on loads of different types of products, um, not just the stock market. You could buy um, you could buy bond funds, you could buy property-based funds, alternative assets, all sorts of different things. And that LVR is really, really important because that's kind of that's the number that that uh, triggers a margin call. So let's say the LVR is 70 percent, the maximum LVR. For your little, for the example we've got, so at the moment it's fifty thousand, fifty percent LVR because you've got twenty of your own money, twenty of the bank's money. So fifty percent of that portfolio is down, uh, is is uh, leveraged. Let's say the market drops, the bank still, you still owe the bank that money. So let's say the market drops by, and I'm going to do um, some public public maths here. So bear with me if I get these figures wrong. But let's say you've got that £40,000 invested and the thing you're invested in drops by 25%. That means your £40,000 is now worth £30,000. The overall portfolio is worth thirty grand. Now, the bank's not going to take the hit on that. They're not going to say, oh, well, we only own half of that portfolio. So now you only owe us fifteen grand. It doesn't work like that. You still owe the bank twenty grand. That means that of the 30,000 portfolio, the LVR is 20,000 20, of the total 30,000. So what's that? 66%. So you're at a 66% LVR. So you've gone from a 50% LVR to a 66% LVR. You're okay. It's not great, but you're okay. You've not hit that 70% trigger. If the market falls an additional 10, 15% from that point, 15% I think would do it, you tick over the 70%. So now the bank's percentage that their loan represents is above their trigger point for, for a margin call at 70%. Now, what the bank does at that point is that they tell you that if you want to keep the money invested, if you want to keep the portfolio going, you need to get their LVR back to under 70%. So what they do in order to do that is they ask you for some money. And generally speaking, you've got like 24 hours to get them that money. Like they don't fuck around. They're not like, yeah, you know, when you get a chance, get it to us within the next 30 days. No, it's like we want cash and we want it right fucking now. And normally part of the reason for that is because the market generally for this to have happened, the market has dropped significantly. So they're, they're a bit worried. Um, so that's the first problem. Right now, that's not necessarily a problem if the margin calls like a couple of grand, but imagine a scenario where you have a portfolio that's one hundred and fifty thousand, and you've borrowed one hundred and fifty thousand, and you need to come up with twenty k in twenty four hours. That's quite tough for most people, uh, and even if you have the cash available for the first margin call. There's nothing to say that it's not going to then drop further and you're going to get a second margin call. So you could wipe out your savings to top up the first one and then you uh, 
you are going to have to do that again and you, you might not have the cash. Now, what happens then? If you don't have the cash for the margin call, what actually is the process? Well, this kind of comes to the uh, comes to the crux of, of Finn's comment where he says, um, the, where was it? Uh, okay, yeah. Uh, profitable, not only in a bull market, but a bear market if you're holding for long enough. That is a really key point because what would happen is if the lender asked you for your money, asked you for five grand, you don't have five grand, they basically sell down portfolio to get the uh, LVR back to where they want it to be. So if you don't have 5K of your own, you still, there's still your 10 grand in that portfolio or five grand or whatever. They will sell down as much of the portfolio as they need to take more of your share in order to get that LVR. Now, the problem is, is that every time they sell one pound of the investment portfolio, 70% of that is already theirs. So there's only 30p extra uh, liquidity or extra uh, security rather that they're able to secure for every one pound. So what it means is you either come up with a shitload of cash in a very short space of time or a massive chunk of your portfolio gets sold down by the lender. They will do it for you. That's part of the deal. They have the control and the, the ability to do that uh, and leave you with, with very, very little. So it's kind of the for sale of an asset at the worst possible time because it's when the market is at its absolute worst and when it eventually does recover if you know if you diversified enough and all that if when it eventually recovers you've given away a lot of your holdings to to the bank to shore up their to, to shore up their balance sheet and again they don't they don't make you good when when the portfolio if it goes back to where it was before they don't like rejig it so that your portfolio is you have the same amount of holding you will just own a much more a much smaller percentage of that portfolio at that point so you can get fucking wrecked in a very short space of time um and it can get very very messy uh it can get very very messy when you have uh you know when you have kind of crazy things going on in the market i think for me that's that's the big thing to keep in mind is that whenever and i don't know this life cycle investing i've not i've never heard of them i've not listen to that audio book or read the book or whatever. So I don't know, but you know, they talk about two times leverage. Um, the testing, the back testing, the, uh, you know, detail and the data that most of this kind of stuff is based on is when the markets are within normal ranges. And the thing in 2008, the reason why it caused, or part of the reason why it caused so many problems is because what happened was outside the bounds of normal ranges. And so that's what this kind of stuff never takes into account is that crazy shit can happen in markets that we weren't expecting, that we've not seen before, and that completely throws the rule book out the window. And I'm just going to share, I know I've been speaking, talking about this for a little while now, but I'm just going to share one one little thing that, I, that really sticks in my mind that happened during 2008 that's a good example of this. So, so far I've explained about LVRs and about how based on the risk level of the asset, uh, the government, sorry, not the government, the bank would give you the max LVR. So, you know, again, just to kind of recap, if you're going to do a, a broad spectrum, you know, all world or UK ETF or US ETF or something, that's probably going to be fairly high at 70 odd percent. Anything higher risk is a lower L, L, LVR. The peak of the 2008 crisis the banks were shitting themselves for obvious, obvious reasons. The margin lenders were shitting themselves. 
So one of the things that they did, and I think this is fucking horrendous that they did this, but one of the things that they did is they went through their entire book and redid those LVRs in the middle of the crisis. So, you know, imagine you've logged in one day, you've decided to set things up really conservatively, right? You've only done like a 25% LVR. You think, shit, the market would have to for like 80% for me to have any problems. No issues whatsoever. You log in, your LVR is 14%. That's fine, not a problem. The bank, uh, the bank is, you know, they've said that they're going to have their max LVR on this investment is 60%, 50%, whatever. That's not an issue. That's not a problem. Overnight, in 2008, banks went through and they redid those LVRs. So they said that if you hold that Vanguard All World Fund, well, I know we said we would give you a max LVR of 70%, but we're actually kind of panicking now uh, and we want to shore up our balance sheet. So actually, as of today, the max LVR we're going we're gonna to allow on a uh, Vanguard All World Fund is actually 30%. And sorry, that actually puts you into a margin call. So we're going to need £45,000 from you by the close of business tomorrow. That sounds crazy. That sounds like something that shouldn't happen and is not possible to happen and is legal or whatever, but it happened. Literally, banks were going through and revaluing the LVRs on all their investments overnight, and in some cases, removing the LVRs altogether. So if you had something that was a bit more high risk, where previously the max LVR was only like 30 or 40%, they would come in and saying, no, you know what, actually, we don't want to lend money against that asset anymore. So yeah, you need to pay the loan off today. So it's kind of the perfect uh, perfect storm of uh, of liquidity problems, cash flow problems during volatile markets. And for me, it was a really, really big lesson about about debt, about leverage. Um, not that debt and leverage is a bad thing, but you have to be very, very careful about the ability for the lender to call in that loan or change the terms of that loan. Um, and uh, for me, the memories are still too, uh, it, was, it was 14, 15 years ago now, but the memories are still too strong in my mind to make me want to ever touch uh, borrowing on, on the stock market uh, with a barge pool. I just think it's too risky. You're giving up too much power uh, uh, to the actual management of your portfolio to the lender. And I think the benefit, you know, the benefit of the returns isn't isn't there. If you really want to use leverage to grow investments, stick with stuff like property, right? That's the main benefit. And you've heard me rail against property as an investment. But if leverage is your game, if that's how you want to kind of crank up your net worth, yeah, there's definitely way better options. Even businesses borrowing money to start a business or build a business or whatever is is a, is a much much uh, better option. I did mention uh, before about. Uh, leverage for your pension. Now, I'm not going to spend ages on this, but there are also funds that are internally leveraged. So this is kind of different because you don't have the loan directly, so you can't get a margin call yourself, but you can invest in funds, all sorts of different funds, both inside pensions, outside, in ISIS or whatever, that where the fund manager leverage uses leverage. So you give them the 100 quid or 1,000 quid or whatever, they then take that money and they have they have margin loans that they operate on their on their balance sheet. Now again, that's um, that's probably uh, that is a more secure way of doing it because you can't like lose more than you've invested. Um, but it's still it's still sketchy. You could still have massive losses um, at times when the markets are, are going down. 
you can get big gains when the market's going up, but I've not looked at it for a while. But in the past, when I've looked at it, it adds a shitload of volatility to your portfolio and it doesn't add that much more return. It does add more return, um, but normally they, they're, they're quite conservative with their with their margin levels. Um, and yeah, it's just the, the, the value's not been there for me. Keeping in mind as well that those kind of fund those kind of funds are usually very, very expensive, like really expensive, like two, three percent or more, because they have to build in the interest cost for the, the margin line and that sort of thing. So um Anyway, I've, I've actually gone over a lot more of that than I thought I would, but hopefully that's useful just to kind of give some uh, context around marginal lending, leverage, and why. From my perspective, you should just, yeah, don't go near it. All right, so next thing I want to talk about is what happens if Vanguard goes bust? So like I said at the outset, this was a, a question on Reddit that I saw, which I thought it was a good one. This guy has put all his money into Vanguard, um, like all in, all in, you know, SIPs, ISAs, general investment accounts, like the whole bag, everything's with Vanguard. What happens if Vanguard goes bust? And this is actually a pretty easy question to answer. So you don't need to worry about this turning into a 45-minute episode or anything like that. And effectively, the way that this works is the same for Vanguard as is the same for Hargreaves Lansdowne. It's the same for Trading212, I think. <laughs> the same if you invest with a financial advisor, Effectively, whenever you are investing uh, investing money with an intermediary, third party, they don't hold your assets on their balance sheet. And that is really, 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 really key. So if you're investing with Vanguard, Vanguard have a number of different companies that they split out. They have, you know, it's all under the Vanguard banner, but they will have, you know, their Vanguard um uh, companies. Companies that all operate under the, the corporate structure, but within uh, they all have their own separate job, and within all those companies, there would be there is a company whose job is to hold the assets on behalf of the clients. So that's what's known as a nominee company, and the nominee company is the legal owner of the assets, but they're not the the beneficial owner of the assets. So they are the ones who, you know, if you buy if you buy a, a thousand quid uh, worth of a Vanguard, the Vanguard All World ETF they then go and purchase the underlying holdings on your behalf. So they buy the Apple shares and Tesco shares or whatever. They are the legal owner of those. They have they have purchased them with your money. But because they've purchased them with your money, you are the beneficial owner of them. And that's a really, really key point. Because it means if Vanguard, the company, was to go bankrupt, all of your assets don't sit on the balance sheet of Vanguard. So... Let's just say that the um, for some reason, I, I don't imagine how it would actually happen because of their business, the way they run, but let's just hypothetically say that Vanguard went bankrupt, right? So they borrowed a heap of money to do marketing or whatever and it just went to shit and they they died. They ran out of money. They're trading. They can't trade because they're, they're bust. The liquidators or the administrators would come in and they would look for assets to pay back the lenders. So that's how administration works. They'd get an accountant firm like KPMG or something. They would come in, look at all the assets of Vanguard, look at all the people who they've lent money to, borrowed money from, I mean, um, and then they would try to sell those assets, try and, and generate enough cash to pay back as many of those lenders as possible. Your shares are not on that list. 
So part of the process the administrators would go through would be to find a new nominee company to take over the management and the holding of those equities on your behalf. So, you know, they would go to like another really big company like Legal and General or Fidelity or Royal London or someone like that. The the assets under management, the portfolio, the pot would be passed over to that new company. Your management fees then rather than going to Vanguard would go to Royal London or whoever. So you're very, very secure in that because there's no legal way for the company to use your assets on on a regulated from a regulated standpoint so we're talking about the stock market the bond market regulated financial assets and that's important I'll get to that in a minute so it really is a, a very 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 safe way to to hold your investments you don't have to worry about the intermediary going bankrupt there'll always be another intermediary who can come and take their place now I made a point of saying regulated there because this is not the case for unregulated assets. And there's a really, really good example of this at the moment, which is Celsius, which is a DeFi or decentralized finance program uh, platform in the crypto world. You may have seen this. Uh, Celsius um, offer we're offering like crazy high interest rates of like 18%. I may have even talked about this actually um, in the last, last episode. I can't quite remember. But anyway. They're offering crazy high interest rates, loads of people put their money in and recently the company decided that they were having real problems with shoring up their balance sheet so they actually froze everyone's money. You can't take money out, you can't withdraw it, you can't move it at all. And actually if you, there's been some stuff online doing the rounds which is which goes into the fine print uh, of Celsius and in there it actually says that if they are struggling to pay back their lenders, they can use your money to do that. So that is very, very different. And one of the only reasons they can do that is because it's an unregulated asset. They don't have to apply or they don't have to comply, I mean, with all of the rules and regulations and requirements that you have to do on regulated financial markets. So just really, really a key point to remember is if you are getting involved in some of this unregulated stuff, regulation, regulation always sounds like a fucking boring snore, who gives a shit, like... Uh, you know, or okay, boomer, like, let me do what I want to do. This is one of those reasons, one of those, um, one of those reasons why sometimes regulation is actually very good. It does provide you a lot of uh, protection as a consumer. And it means that there are really strict rules in place um, that companies have to follow. Now, what it doesn't protect against is fraud, right? Just because there's a rule there doesn't mean people can't go and break it. So, you know, the one caveat I would say there is if there was a mass conspiracy of all of the board of directors and the CEO and everybody at Vanguard, they could get your money. They could pinch it. They could wire it wherever they want. They have control over it. But, you know, they would all go to jail or they'd be facing jail time and there'd be a whole bunch of, there'd be a world of pain for the people involved in that. So the chances of that, considering they're all paid millions as it is, pretty unlikely. But, you know, it is what it is. Right, so last thing I want to talk about, or touch on, I'll say touch on because I'm not going to, I'm going to cover this more in detail on the newsletter this Thursday. So if you've not signed up to the newsletter, guys, please go and do it, right? It's, if you've had a look before, if you've heard me kind of plug the newsletter on an episode of the podcast before, and you've had a look, you thought, yeah, yeah, that's that's fine, not for me, don't want it in the inbox. I encourage you to take a second look. I'm putting loads more time into this, right? And actually, I've decided it's going to be, it's going to be the hedge. The hedge is going to be first and foremost the newsletter. The podcast is still going to carry on. I'm still going to do the podcast, so don't worry about that. But the podcast is a way to reach more people to uh, be able to share 
the newsletter. Um, I've got some really, really big plans for it. I'm putting a lot more time and effort into it. I'm putting a lot more work into it. I think the product is really, really good. I'm getting some awesome feedback on it. So, you know, please, please do. If you, if you want to support my content creation efforts, if you want um, to kind of uh, allow me to have a platform to keep doing this, to keep really bringing you some stuff that you're interested in, please support the newsletter. That's going to be um, the metric that I'm using on whether I need where whether I should keep going whether the content is worthwhile or whether I should just chuck it in and try something different so please head over to the website thehedge.io and check that one out one of the new things uh, one of the, the topics for this week is what happens with a new prime minister to the stock market is there a pattern what's happened in the past I've started looking at the figures on this I've started delving into the some analysis on on um, you know historical historical dates, historical figures. And so far, I'm not seeing a pattern, which is interesting. Well, it's interesting, but it's also, it makes sense when you think about it, right? So, so far, it seems to be kind of haphazard as to what the stock market does 12 months after we get a new prime minister. And really, I think that highlights to me that politics doesn't really matter in the short term, right? It matters in the long term. Obviously, they're the ones who make the decisions um, on where the country goes, where the money is spent, all that kind of stuff. It's, it's important. But in terms of the news cycle that we see on politics, which is like every day there's a new scandal or a new comment or whatever, and trying to tie that to the stock market, it doesn't really make a difference. The market is going to do what the market's going to do. The broader economy is going to have, and the news on the broader economy is going to have a much bigger impact than the politics of the day. But if you want to, if you want to see the statistics around that. Again, like I say, jump on the newsletter. I'm going to provide some some analysis on 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 uh, how that's looked in the past and whether we can glean anything from it in the future. Which so far I'm not seeing anything, but you never know. I'm not not quite finished it yet. So, guys, that is the episode for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in, having a listen, um, taking some time out to to talk money, talk investing with me. If you have questions, I would love to hear from you. I'd love to get some stuff on the, some some new content to, to talk about on the podcast. Uh, thank you to Finn for sending that question through today. I think it was. A, uh, I'm glad you asked me to follow up because I think there was some there was some useful stuff in there. The best way to get in hold with uh, get in touch with me if you want. Uh, if you want to um, ask me a question, is go to the website, thehedge.io, sign up to the newsletter, and then drop me an email there. Um, if you want to get in touch with me directly, I'm going to try and spend a bit more time on Twitter. I'm, 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 I'm working a lot on my social strategy, trying to figure out where I want to be because I don't have enough time to, to be on everything really. I've not been on Instagram at all uh, for really much at all, um, and I personally prefer Twitter the most. So if you want to, uh, if you want to go and find me there, you can find the link to my Twitter on the website, or uh, it's just underscore Jason Mountford at underscore Jason Mountford. So you can you can go over and, and follow me on there. I'm going to be trying to be a lot more active on on there, and it's also another good way to get in touch with me if you want to drop me a DM on Twitter or share something with me on there. That would be awesome, guys. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Enjoy the the heat wave. It's going to be like 30 plus degrees, which is fucking unbearable here in the UK with no aircon and all that, but we will survive. Thanks for your time, guys, and I will speak to you on the next episode of the show.